Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Christy Foley. Christy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here, Henry. Looking forward to this conversation about conflict resolution for small business owners. You know, as small business owners, we often must deal with conflicts of different types, intensity and significance. And Christy is with me today to share some valuable insights on how we may be able to resolve or even avoid some of the common conflicts we may face in our small business. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. So Christy L. Foley is an attorney, mediator, and arbitrator who has dedicated her professional career to teaching others about conflict resolution, mediation ethics, and e-mediation techniques. As a teacher at heart, she loves teaching groups how to create peace in their workplace, which, which is a great ideal. That's what we all need to have, especially when we go into business. It's great if we have a peaceful work environment. She is licensed to practice law in both New York and Florida, although she does offer her consulting services nationwide. We'll talk more about that in a moment. She also manages an entertainment and small business law firm in Central Florida called the Law Office of Christiel Foley and is the founder and mediator of e-mediation services, which facilitates virtual mediation to help people mediate quickly and conveniently. She also currently serves as a visiting lecturer at the University of Central Florida. Christy lives in Orlando, Florida. So once again, Christy Foley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. So we were just talking about whether you're in Orlando. I'm, uh, I don't know, two hours south of you and over on the coast in Jensen Beach, Port St. Lucie. So we, we had major storms last night. I don't know if you got any of that. Luckily, we did not hear, although I have to say I was actually driving through your area oh, really? of the state over the weekend oh, uh, yeah. during the tropical storm, Nice, <laughs> which is always fun in Florida. Yep, yep. Yeah, that one was an unexpected one because it came to us from the other side, right? We're not expecting right? them to come across Mexico. So anyway, yeah. for those of you who don't live in Florida, that was a wake-up call for us that storm season is here as we record this and June of 2022. So let's get into it. I always like to start with the journey. And one thing that stood out as I was doing the research is you were a figure skater at some point in your life, it seems. Yes, I was. I actually grew up as a figure skater. Um, it was, you know, just my favorite hobby and I competed throughout college. Wow. And to this day, I actually still coach in my spare time because- I love it. You know, everyone has their Zen place. And for me, it's a sheet of ice. So I still get on the ice regularly. Did you grow up in the Orlando area? Shockingly for a figure skater? Yes. Right, right. That, is, that is not common. No, not common at all. But my parents are from the Northeast. Ah. And my mom went ice skating one day when I was little. And I was determined to get out there and do it with her. And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I imagine so that that influence from from the Northeast. All right. So when did you know you wanted to be an attorney? I always had the idea in the back of my head that I might want to be an attorney. I mean, I was captain of the debate team in high school and mm. all that traditional jazz. 
Uh, however, when I got to college, I majored in broadcast journalism and fell in love with that industry. And I had already signed up for the LSAT. So I figured eh, I'll take the LSAT, but I got a great job in the television broadcasting industry that I couldn't turn down. And after a few years, my LSAT score was about to expire. And I figured, you know what? let me go to law school. Let me give this whole legal thing a try. And if I don't like it, I can always go back to TV broadcasting. And I discovered that there was this whole area of the law where you could combine your love of the entertainment industry with legal issues. It's called entertainment law. Go figure. (laughs) And so I decided to kind of make my home there. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Now, during this time, obviously, as a broadcaster, you were working for someone else. When did the aspiration to start your own firm come to you? So I ended up moving from New York to Florida. And in that time, I was licensed to practice law in New York, but I was not licensed to practice in Florida. And so I started teaching actually at an entertainment university full sale. And I loved teaching. I was focusing on teaching entertainment law, negotiations, mediations, conflict resolution, that kind of thing. And I fell in love with higher ed. And I discovered once I took the Florida bar and passed um, that people said, hey, you're licensed in Florida now. Can we give you money and pay you to represent us? And I thought, oh, well, it would be stupid of me to turn them down. So maybe I should start my own firm and on the side of teaching, practice law. And that's really how it started. Um, I did not necessarily intend on being an entrepreneur, to be perfectly honest with you, but there were people who I knew I could help and I had no reason to turn them down. And so I started my own business and that's what taught me that I really enjoyed having the flexibility of being an entrepreneur and running a business myself. Mm -hmm. So flexibility, is that, would you say that's certainly on the list, but what else about being your own boss, being your own business owner is important to you? What does it provide for you? Well, definitely that flexibility because I'm still able to teach. I now teach at UCF, as you mentioned. Um, And so I really enjoy being able to, you know, if I need to take a morning off from the law firm to go ahead and go teach a class because that's what I enjoy doing and that fills my cup then I have that flexibility to do so, which is lovely. Um, So for me, the flexibility is number one. But number two, it's also a matter of being able to select my own clients. A lot of times Mm -hmm. at giant firms, you don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. But by running my own firm, I'm able to pick and choose which clients I work with. And the reason that that is so amazing for me is because there are plenty of clients who maybe don't have a big business. Maybe they're just starting out and maybe they can't afford crazy lawyer rates and they need a payment plan or something like that. I can work with them. I can choose that if they seem like a good person and I think I can really help them and I believe in their cause and their business, I can make that decision to take them on as a client, as the owner of the business. Whereas if I was at a large firm, I probably wouldn't be in a position where I'd be able to actually select them as a client. Right, right. You you feel like you have more of an impact, I suspect, Christy. And I got to think it's connected to the teacher in you where that nurturing and helping others is important to you. 
Probably. There's definitely a strong connection there, Henry. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing that that journey as to how you got here briefly. Let's uh, start to get into this topic of conflict resolution for small business. But I thought we'd start as I always do when I have someone from your profession in particular and a quick legal disclaimer. So would you give us a quick legal disclaimer just to make sure everybody understands what you're sharing today? Absolutely. So today I am just sharing my general experience and I'm here more as a teacher than I am a lawyer or anything like that. So not giving anyone specific legal advice or creating any kind of attorney client relationship today. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So let, let's start by having you share at a high level. I thought you'd it maybe introduce this topic of conflict resolution from a small business owner's perspective. You know, a, a business conflict does not always have to lead to legal action necessarily, but often can be resolved by some some alternative like mediation. So let's just start there. What what do we mean when we say conflict resolution in the small business world? So conflict resolution is an extraordinarily broad term. It can incorporate anything from just negotiating with another person who you might be having some sort of disagreement with to going through something a little more formal, like having a third party mediator come in and help facilitate those communications between two people who are fighting, um, even going through the litigation stages, arbitration stages, things like that on a more formal level. All of those technically are conflict resolution. But my hope for small businesses in particular is since you don't have probably the time or the money to be dealing with lengthy litigation or arbitration, that you're able to resolve things at the negotiation or at worst mediation levels. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, often much more expeditious as well as less uh, less expensive, yes. uh, and so this it's a great alternative. Often, you know, I see more and more different agreements that I might sign of all different types have a mediation clause in them. Right, you're seeing that certainly much more. I do anyway. Absolutely. And particularly here in Florida, Florida is a big state for mediation. Okay. So a lot of our contracts will include mediation clauses for sure. All right. So, so let explain what, what happens if we decide to mediate. I have a conflict with someone I've signed an agreement with, and we're going to, instead of start suing each other, we're going to go to mediation. What does that mean at a high level? So a mediator will come in and help you to communicate with each other more effectively. So the mediator is not someone who's going to make any kind of decisions or force anyone to settle in a particular way. Instead, a mediator is going to help each person really hear the other side and hear what's important to the other side and also figure out a way to better express themselves and their desires so that the other side is more likely to understand you and understand your perspective in the discussion. And by helping the parties to hear each other and express themselves better, the mediator can help the parties to really navigate that conflict and reach a settlement that they come up with, that they're in control of, and that they're comfortable with. Who pays for the mediator? Typically, the mediator fee is split equally between the parties. And generally, mediators will charge by the hour. Um, so, you know, that hourly rate is something that you want to inquire about before you select your mediator. 
And is every state different? Uh, let's talk about Florida for, for a moment. Uh, you have to be, I don't know, certified as a mediator to serve in that role? In Florida, it is recommended that you are certified, and there are actually five different areas of certification by the Florida Supreme Court that you can potentially be certified in if you're interested in being a mediator. Not every state has mediator certifications, though, and even in Florida, there are a lot of people who choose to use non-certified mediators. Um, for example, in community disputes and in more um, like marriage and family disputes, a lot of times people will use maybe a pastor or a rabbi or someone of religious importance to them to help them with their mediations. Sure. And that person may have religious training, but not training from the Florida Supreme Court. Now, in the case of most business disputes, yep. you probably are not going that route. So in the case of most business disputes, you are probably going with someone who is a Florida Supreme Court certified circuit civil mediator. That circuit civil certification is the one that you're probably looking for and finding to be most important in a mediator if you're running a small business. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the there are no really, there isn't, the mediator doesn't make a determination like an arbitrator might. We'll get to that appointment. They, as you explained, just facilitate, hopefully, a discussion that leads to a resolution mutually between the two parties. Is that right? That is right. Usually when I have a mediation clause in a contract, there's nothing binding about it. There's just an agreement that we will take that step first before we start suing each other. Is that correct? So typically it might be a requirement that you mediate, that you try to mediate and resolve your dispute before you litigate. Um, so in the sense of, is it binding? It might be binding that you have to give mediation a try. Right, right. However, there is no requirement that you settle at mediation. So right. if mediation happens to not settle, you can then move on to the next step, which might be arbitration or litigation or something like that. All right. So then briefly explain to me the difference between mitigation and arbitration. So litigation is what happens in a public courtroom. So if you think about your local courthouse where you can go in and you can sit in on any random case you want, everything is public record. Um, you're dealing with the bureaucracy. That of is, the that is arbitration. System. I'm sorry, I lost you there. That is what? Sorry, that's litigation. Yeah, litigation. Got it. That's if, if we yes. formally sue each other and, and file lawsuits, lawsuits against each other. Yep. Yes. So all of that is going to be public record. Right. Um, all of that is going to be dealing with the bureaucracy of the state court system. So often litigation will take you probably an average of about 18 months to two years, depending on what state you're in, of course. Um, however, arbitration differs from litigation because arbitration is completely confidential. So there is no public record of an arbitration. The parties literally get to select their arbitrator or panel of arbitrators if they want more than one. And they have closed door proceedings. So nobody else is allowed in to witness them or read a transcript or anything like that. And the arbitrators are not judges. A lot of times the arbitrators are attorneys who have experience in that area of the law, 
but they're not actual judges. You're also not going through the state court system when you're dealing with arbitration. Everything is privately organized. And that means that it can get organized a little bit faster because you're dealing with a little bit less red tape. So typically for arbitration, you'll be able to hold an arbitration within nine months to 12 months in most cases. Is it always, is the decision or the results always um, binding or, or it, does it depend? Excellent question. Um, my typical lawyer answer is it depends, but this one is actually pretty clear cut because you can either engage in binding arbitration okay. or non-binding arbitration. Yeah. And that's something you decide before the arbitration starts. It's likely even written into any arbitration clauses in contracts that okay. you've signed. So usually the contract clause will say whether it's binding or non-binding. Right. And if it's binding, it is almost almost impossible to appeal the decision of the arbitrators. So um, that is another big difference between litigation and arbitration. You know, right. litigation, a lot of things get appealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in arbitration, you can hardly ever appeal an arbitrator's decision. Right. And you're making that conscious decision. You're giving up the typical judicial process or litigation process that allows for appeals. Now, I don't see, uh, but you know, you, you tell me, I, I don't, uh, personally, I don't see arbitration clauses in too many of the contracts that I come into contact with. But let me ask it this way, if I could, Christy, um, do you recommend, generally speaking, that a contract would have uh, a first mediation provision that then might be followed by an arbitration provision? Is that how you've seen that done or might recommend that done. Okay. That's exactly how I would recommend it done, Henry. It actually makes my heart very happy to hear you say that because I think it's really good to give people an opportunity to try and resolve their dispute themselves, even if they need the help of a mediator to do so. So I think making mediation your first line of defense in the event of a dispute is really wise. Um, Statistically speaking, People who settle disputes via mediation are actually more likely to follow through with Mm. whatever the settlement is because Mm. they had a say in resolving it. Right. It wasn't, you know, uh, it's their idea. They don't feel like it was forced upon them. Yeah, exactly. And so then if mediation doesn't work, I recommend generally for small businesses in particular that you have an arbitration clause that says, hey, if we don't resolve things at mediation, we'll go to arbitration. And the reason I say arbitration instead of litigation is because arbitration is usually slightly faster and slightly less expensive Mm -hmm. than litigation. And it provides you with more confidentiality. And for small businesses, those are three really important factors when they're considering how to resolve disputes. So typically, I recommend making arbitration your final method of trying to resolve a problem. Yeah, great points. I I really, in particular, can see this being so powerful. I see so many partnerships between two people, often even going in 50-50 from an ownership perspective, which I personally do not like. But when you have that, it's it's hard for sometimes when two people disagree to come to an agreement. That mediator then facilitates that. And to that point, sometimes what can happen, I think, in those disputes is all one of the person or the other needs is to kind of have it heard from a different perspective, right? Yes. That's not emotionally involved in whatever the situation might be. 
Absolutely. You know, hearing things phrased a little bit differently, Mm -hmm. hearing it come from another person is also really helpful. You know, it's kind of one of those running jokes amongst parents that if I tell my kid to do something, they're not going to do it. But if you tell my kid, he'll listen to you. Yeah. All of a sudden the coach tells him something and it's, you know, it's just prophetic. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's kind of the same way in mediation. A lot of times people put up a block, they stop listening to whomever they're fighting with. Whereas when a mediator comes in and says, you know, what I'm hearing the other person say is X, Y, Z. Can you see how from his perspective, he may be feeling that way? Then that's the kind of thing that all of a sudden they're listening to the mediator their ears are open, their minds are open, and they're more likely to really understand what's being said. So you're a mediator, as I mentioned in the opening, right? Absolutely. And and so you've also do this through e-mediation. And in, in fact, as I mentioned, you, you have your own your own practice around this. Tell me what e-mediation is all about. So back in 2018, I created this business called e-mediation services, where I used a virtual conferencing platform. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Zoom. <laughs> And we're all, we're all intimately familiar with it now. Yeah. Now we are. In 2018, people looked at me like I was a little crazy. I can but imagine. in 2018, I started introducing people to Zoom. And it was a really helpful platform for bringing people together if they were not geographically close together or there were any kind of like injuries or illnesses that prevented people from being able to physically get together. And particularly here in Florida, you know, I had one dispute where we had a party in Tallahassee and another party in Fort Lauderdale. And the dispute itself was amongst two small businesses. The value of the dispute was $20,000. And $20,000 is a significant Mm -hmm. chunk of change. However, Mm -hmm. for each party to travel to one or the other, or even a halfway meeting point and pay for their attorney's travel and time and everything like that made absolutely no sense. The fact that we were all able to log into Zoom and we were able to save those small businesses time and money in trying to get their mediation going and getting their dispute resolved made such a big difference to their bottom line and meant that that 20,000 didn't all go out the window to their attorney's fees (laughs) and their travel expenses. So I found e-mediation to be really helpful. And frankly, it was one of those things that I thought would take a while to catch on. And sure enough, COVID hit. And all of a sudden, everyone figured out what Zoom was and started e-mediating as well, which was a really nice experience for me because all of a sudden, people realized, hey, this is a beneficial process. It has a lot of different helpful uses. And all of a sudden, people knew how to operate Zoom. I didn't have to do so many Zoom tutorials. Mm-hmm. So that was also really nice for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think it's one of the great residuals of the pandemic is this acceptance in so many uh, facets of business in particular that, that doing it online is acceptable. Now, let yeah. me ask you curiously, as you were explaining that, I was thinking I could see pros and cons to not being in the same room. Mm-hmm. I can see where it could lead to less volatility, certainly. Uh, maybe separation can be good in some cases, like you know, when you close on a real estate transaction, you don't necessarily bring both sides to the same table. Uh, but, but so what have been your experiences? What are, what are the pros and cons of not having people face to face? So I think one of the biggest advantages is the fact that people are in their own comfortable environment. Mm, And therefore, I find that they're less likely to be volatile during 
an e-mediation compared to an in-person mediation. Interesting. A lot of times, especially let's say you have two business partners who are breaking up and they are in the same room together or even just on the same floor of an office building together. (laughs) A lot of times their blood is boiling. The second they get a glimpse at that other person in another conference room down the hall from them, all of a sudden they're mad. Right. And that volatility carries through to whatever they say and do in their mediation. I find that when people are in a more comfortable, relaxed atmosphere, they're not worried about facing the other person directly and physically encountering them. They can relax a little bit more, which is really helpful in making sure the mediation goes smoothly. Yeah, brilliant. Interesting observations there. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Roll by ADP. It's no secret that starting a business causes stress and can sometimes feel like it's you against the world. So you need the right partner by your side. Like Roll by ADP, a chat-based mobile payroll app built with small business owners in mind. Roll simplifies the payroll process, making running payroll as easy as sending a text, really and lets you pay employees, including contractors, freelancers, even yourself, directly from your mobile device. On top of that, Roll helps you stay in compliance, giving you one fewer thing to stress over. Since Roll is an app, you can say goodbye to stacks of paper everywhere, and it always has your back, offering 24-7 live chat support and step-by-step guidance. Roll is backed by the payroll experts at ADP, giving you industry-leading security, expertise, and reliability. Welcome to a better way of doing business. Visit getroll.com slash howabusiness today and get your first three months free. The other thing I, that has that is coming to me as we're having this discussion, Christy, is that mm-hmm. applying mediation and arbitration and, and, you know, as a practice, trying to make sure that these are clauses and contracts where we have some control over what's in the contract. Mm -hmm. It addresses, you know, the point you made about the $20,000 dispute. I think we have come to a point as small business owners, unfortunately, where we have this attitude of, well, it's not worth pursuing that because I'm going to spend more money and anguish trying to get the $20,000 and I'm going to get. And so it's, it's an unfortunate situation that we end up with when we have that perspective, isn't it? It really is. And it puts people between a rock and a hard place. It does. Yeah. You know, is it worth my time to pursue this or do I need to essentially just write it off and hope I learned a lesson from this experience? And, you know, like I said earlier, um, one of the benefits of running my own business is that I have a lot of flexibility. And if someone says to me, look, this dispute is not necessarily a high amount, monetarily speaking, but it means a lot to me to get this resolved. Mm-hmm. I can put them on a payment plan. I can reduce my rate. I can do what I need to, you know, in order to really help them. And so that's been really nice because I think it's difficult for people who are starting a new business and they need help in situations like that to be able to really proceed and get everything that they're entitled to so that they can reinvest in their business and help their business to grow. Right. Right. Yeah. Well said. All right. I want to go back up to a high level and then I want to do a deeper dive on business partnerships in particular. We've been touching on it, but just at an overall level, what are some other common mistakes or misconceptions for that matter 
that business owners might have about conflict resolution? What, what are some of the mistakes you see people make when they get into a conflict, a disagreement, dispute, and how they handle it? The most common error I see new business owners make is really that they think they need to come out of the gate extremely strong and forceful in the event of a conflict in order to kind of stand their ground and make sure no one takes advantage of them, which I Mm -hmm. completely understand. I understand that desire to, you know, show people I'm strong. You can't take advantage of me. I don't want future customers or vendors or anyone taking advantage of me. I wholeheartedly get where they're coming from there. However, there's an old saying that you get more flies with honey than vinegar. I'm sure you've heard it, Henry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've found in my experience, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. This is a sensitive point for me in particular, because I have had that tendency. I'm I'm a hothead sometimes, certainly when I was younger. (laughs) We all are. (laughs) And so when I feel like I've been offended, I've taken this personally, we're going to show them, right? And, and what happened to me over the years is a lot of fortunately good attorneys are like, okay, slow down. Let's, let's, let's see if we can't resolve this. Nice. Um, and, and so it's uh, what it is, I think is maturing as a business owner to separate things from a personal nature and a business nature. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Which is incredibly challenging. It's very hard. Um, your business is usually your baby. Good so point. it feels Good very point. personal anytime someone's attacking it. Yeah. So it's a very challenging thing to do, but it's also extremely important to be able to do that. Yeah. I think that then it, let's segue is, as we've talked about business, uh, business partnerships mm-hmm. from that perspective, Christy, I think the reason it's so volatile sometimes is it is personal. Usually you know, often we go into business partnership with someone who's a friend. I've done it with family members, somebody that we've known. And then what happens is we come to this disagreement and we just can't believe that we're not on the same page with them. And they're, how could they possibly do this to me and hurt me this way? And that's, I think, why it gets so emotional and so heated. Absolutely. Um, You know, we generally don't go into business with people who we don't love to some degree, right? Right, right. Um, People who we think we can trust everything to, uh, people who we're willing to open up our hearts to, those are usually the only kinds of people we go into business partnerships with. And then when there's some sort of fight that arises about the business, all of a sudden, not only are there business issues that are serious and that need to be addressed, But there are also personal issues because you're now fighting with someone you're extremely close with, probably your best friend or a close family member or something like that. And now on the personal side, you're experiencing a huge loss and change as well. Mm -hmm. And so to combine at the exact same moment, such a big personal loss with such a big professional problem is emotionally just wrecking havoc on people and making it very hard for them to deal in a logical, calm manner with that dispute. Right, right. And that's, and that's, again, we'll come back to where somebody like a mediator can come in and help, help us see it more rationally, more logically. Definitely. Um, Let's break this down. Now let's, let's do the deeper dive on business partnerships, because it is such a huge one for me and, and for my listeners. I, I want to start from the beginning and go through it. One of the things I have I've really advocated for, has spoken about it a lot in this episode. I've done episodes on it exclusively on partnerships. Most of my business ventures have been in partnership. 
And most of them have gone well. Some of them have not gone so well. But one of the things I recommend highly, and I'll actually have it as a download on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com, is I call it a memo of understanding, just for lack of a better term. And what it is, Chrissy, is I've put together kind of a checklist of the things that I want potential business partners to have a conversation about, and then make sure that they hire an attorney to boil those down to a solid operating or partnership agreement. I think in doing that, we can hopefully avoid a lot of these potential conflicts later. Yes, definitely. Being proactive from the beginning is really the best thing you can do to prevent conflict. Because if you can talk about, hey, hypothetically, if we have a dispute about XYZ, how are we going to resolve it? Who's going to be in charge of that? Who's going to be in charge of other things? That is incredibly helpful to make sure that disputes don't go ahead and get out of hand later on once you're actually running the business. Mm -hmm. The thing is, you know, as you pointed out, what I have found is people look at me like, oh, no, that that would never happen between my sister and I, you know, (laughs) or or I've known David, my partner for 20 years that we we understand each other. And I think what, what I encourage people, this is my philosophy, that if you go through this list and it doesn't get a little bit tense, I don't think you've pushed hard enough in the beginning to make sure we really are on the same page as to how we're going to run this business. Or like you said, what are we going to do if we disagree? Yes, absolutely. You should be having tense conversations when you're having that discussion. It should not be an easy discussion. If it is, you're definitely missing things. I think And so. you do want to make sure you come up with a protocol for if we disagree, mm. how are we going to handle it? You know, some people I work with say, look, if we disagree about an issue regarding who our vendors are, then person X is in charge of that. But if we disagree about an issue regarding like our leasing permit or something more contractually related to day-to-day operations, person Y is going to handle that. And they put different people in charge of different things. Right. And then they list out, which is the important part, what falls into which category, right? Um, So that there is no confusion. If there's a dispute, the final word goes to this person in this category. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to make sure that whatever mechanism you choose for resolving problems that arise, you talk about what that mechanism is going to be in advance so that you both know how to anticipate problems getting resolved when they pop up. Because frankly, as long as you last a little bit of time in business, I'm sure some sort of dispute will pop up. Absolutely. And hopefully you do last for a while in business together and you are successful. So it's actually not the worst thing in the world. That's right. Yeah. And it is, that's a great point that it is normal because we're, we're, if we're going to spend 10 years together as business partners or 15 years, we're going to change. We're going to evolve. Things are going to change in our lives. And I think that's Speaking about that, that's what I've seen often is a big point of contention is we never talked about, right? So when you and I go into business, Christy, you were single, then you got married and you assumed that your husband was going to come into the business. And I wasn't thinking that way, right? So those things I've seen also make a partnership go sideways. Absolutely. Or, you know, a spouse all of a sudden has ideas and is kind of changing the mind of the person who's in the business mm-hmm. based on what the spouse wants. Right. Um, or even a spouse gets relocated for work. And now all of a sudden the business partner partners are looking at being separated and how they're supposed to handle that. 
you know, um, all sorts of different issues can arise, some foreseeable, some not so foreseeable, but the purpose of the kinds of conversations you're suggesting people have, Henry, is to try and foresee as many obstacles as may pop up so that you can anticipate how to handle them, or at least what mechanism you'll choose for resolving those fights if they pop up. Because honestly, a business partnership is kind of like a marriage, right? And anyone who's been married knows that every day isn't all rainbows, sunshine, and butterflies. (laughs) There might be at least one day in your marriage where you think, oh, they didn't do the dishes right, you know, or why can't they load their dishwasher correctly? Even if it's something small, if you have the best marriage in the world, there is still always going to be something that pops up within the duration of your marriage. And a business partnership is the exact same way. So you want to try and anticipate as much as you can. Absolutely. All right. So I didn't do any of this stuff, didn't put together a very comprehensive partnership agreement. I'm in a conflict now with a partner. Let's say there's just two of us. We've touched on some of this already, but, 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 and we're at a stalemate and it's killing the business because that's often what happens. What, yes. what do you usually try to recommend that we do first? I typically recommend mediation in that scenario. Um, That is the kind of thing that both people can agree to right there on the spot. And you don't have to have had any kind of agreement previously to mediate in order to decide to now mediate. Right. It doesn't have to have been in my operating agreement. We can agree to do so, the two of us. Exactly. Yes. That's the good thing about mediation. It's always there if you ever want it. You don't necessarily have to have agreed ahead of time to mediate. You can always say, hey, we're struggling. We need to call in a third party to help us. Even if I've already, maybe if I've already hired an attorney because things got (laughs) ugly, I could say to my attorney, hey, let's propose mediation. Absolutely. I mediate cases with both parties represented by attorneys, one party represented by attorneys, no party represented by attorneys. Mm -hmm. At mediation, it is completely up to you whether you are represented by a lawyer or not. So, and you don't even have to have an attorney just because the other side does. The mediator can help balance some of that feeling of a power imbalance that you might experience if the other side has an attorney and you don't. The mediator can help you to feel more confident going into that scenario. And so I wouldn't even worry about that. Just yeah, that's, a, that's a great point because, uh, because I don't look at this as going to trial. There's nobody right. recording the conversation. This yes. is private. There's nothing that's binding unless we go into it with some agreement to that effect. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to worry that now whatever I may say or expose may be held against me later. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, under the Florida statutes, there is literally a rule that everything said at mediation, all mediation communications are confidential, except as a few disclosures are required or permitted by law. And those disclosures typically relate to things like if you tell the mediator you're about to go kill someone after the mediation ends, (laughs) or you're about to go rob a bank, basically, if the mediator could prevent an impending crime. Um, However, (laughs) it is the very unlikely that that would pop up in a mediation, let alone a business mediation. Right. So so. you should feel very confident that you can go into a mediation and what is said at mediation 
stays at mediation. It's kind of like Vegas in that regard. The other good thing about mediation is that you aren't necessarily with the other party the whole time. A lot of times the mediator will take one party in one room and the other party in a separate room and talk to them one-on-one. And whatever you talk to the mediator about one-on-one is just between you and the mediator unless you give the mediator permission to tell the other side. I see. So if there's something that you're particularly worried about, should I say this? Should I not say this? You can say to the mediator, hey, I'm not sure if I want the other person to know this, but you should know X, Y, Z. And then the mediator will likely say to you, you know, A, I don't think that information will be helpful for reaching a settlement today. So I would like to keep that between us or B, you know what? I think if the other side knew that information, they might be more willing to budge off their position. Are you comfortable with me sharing that information with them? And if you give your consent, then the mediator can tell the other side. Um, But it can be a really helpful way to make sure that you can speak openly and get whatever you need to off your chest and run any potential solutions by the mediator that you're potentially considering, even if you're not 100% sure that you're willing to do those things. And the mediator can kind of help guide you as to whether it's worth disclosing to the other person. Right. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. That makes a lot of sense. How do I go about finding a mediator? Excellent question. Uh, There are a number of different ways you can find a mediator. First of all, everyone always starts their searches for things on Google, I feel like. Uh, Google is a good source for that. But also, there is a roster of mediators on the Florida Courts website. There are also within specific court systems, rosters of mediators that you can take a look at. And then additionally, there are sites like mediation.com, mediate.com, that kind of thing, that also have rosters of mediators that you can take a look at in your area too. I could also, if I have an attorney that I use for other business matters, could ask for a referral as well. Or they might be a mediator themselves, right? Yes. If they're your attorney, they won't be able to mediate your case. That'll be a conflict of interest for them. Mm -hmm. But most attorneys, especially business attorneys, will be able to say, oh, yeah, I have a few mediators I work with. Let's go ahead and see who's available in the coming month or two. Perfect. All right. Here's another question we've touched on, and this will be at a higher level. You're an expert in helping people resolve conflict, Just, just conflict. Yes. Are there one or two things that come to mind that you always find just help people resolve a conflict? Tips like do this or don't do that. Absolutely. My number one tip for resolving a conflict is to truly actively listen to the person you are in conflict with. And that means not only you know, shutting up for 30 seconds or two minutes or whatever it is to give them the space to talk, but actually paying attention to what they're saying and not trying to form a response in your head while they're talking. Just listen to them and focus on what they're saying. That's by far my number one tip. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing is that we're, we're so angry, we can't stand the sight of each other right now that I I can't even hear what they're saying, but I can see obviously where a mediator helps with this, helps to facilitate that listening. 
Absolutely. And, you know, one thing a mediator also helps with sometimes is when people really can't listen, you know how sometimes when you get so mad that all you yeah. hear is like your blood boiling. Yeah, you just, kind you of just thing. Fi- I mean, almost physically cannot listen. Yeah? Cannot right. Hear, like rather. you're just seeing red. Yes. You, you're not, nothing's getting through. The mediator can say, hey, why don't we take a break? Why don't we take some deep breaths? The mediator can help you calm down in that scenario and make sure that when the mediator does come back to tell you information and you're truly ready to listen at that point so that it's not wasting your time or the mediator's time. Absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, we've touched on it, but but give me the summary, if you will, on the services. I know you offer not just legal services, mediation services, consulting services, but tell me about all of that. Yeah, so obviously my legal services, I work with a lot of small businesses, particularly entertainment businesses, to help them get their contracts in line and their intellectual property in line so that hopefully they never wind up at litigation. Uh, And on the mediation side, I do a wide range of civil mediations. Again, a lot of small business and intellectual property and contract disputes that I help mediate for people. But what I also really enjoy doing is going into small to medium-sized organizations and helping them resolve conflict within their team. Mm. Because a lot of times you'll find it's either the business owners or even some of the team members within an organization who just aren't getting along. And unfortunately, when you have that kind of conflict, it ends up impacting the bottom line of the business. It makes things, it makes the team not as productive. It makes the vi- the vision of the company not as successful and therefore impacts the bottom line. So what I love to do is I love to come in and help people figure out, okay, how can we resolve this conflict? And in the future, if we have conflicts pop up, what skills are we kind of missing within this organization to resolve these conflicts? And let's talk about what skills we need to be taught. And I'll come in and I'll teach them those skills so that this way, if conflicts pop up in the future, they don't erupt and get out of control. They instead can be handled really quickly and while they're still small, so that this way the business can be more successful overall and can profit better. Yeah, valuable service there. And that type of consulting service you can offer virtually uh, as well, if that's what makes sense. Yes. So I do that for companies nationwide. And sometimes that means me, you know, flying out or driving somewhere to be on site with a team. Other times it means Zoom meetings. And either way, you know, I cater the services to the team and what they need and how big they are and everything like that. Sometimes we do small group discussions. Sometimes we do full group discussions. Sometimes we do one-on-one discussions. A lot of times we do a combination of all three. (laughs) What website should I go to, to learn more about all of this? My website is emediationservices.com. Perfect. We'll have a link to that on the show notes page of this episode. Uh, on my website as well at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, Chrissy, we'll start to wrap it up. I'm always interested in the book recommendations. Is there a book that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? There is, um, you know, for small business owners, when they have a dispute, a lot of times they don't know how to even start negotiations for it. 
And so one of the books that I love to recommend for people who are just learning to negotiate is a book called Getting to Yes. It's by Fisher and Yuri, and it is very helpful in refocusing people instead of focusing them on positions, it focuses them on interests. So it is a great way to help you build your negotiation skills and start to learn a more effective negotiation method than when, than the ones you were probably taught previously. Excellent. I had not read that book. Thanks for that recommendation. You're welcome. All right, we'll wrap it up with the question that I always ask, which is what, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we had about conflict resolution from a small business owner's perspective? Listen, <laughs> just please make sure you put your listening ears on. If you're ever having a conflict with someone, I've found so many times that a lot of that people just need to vent. And the second you listen to them, they automatically start to feel better. And so if you can just turn on those listening ears and listen effectively to people, things are going to go so much more smoothly for you when you're trying to resolve conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think in, then in that listening is, I think, you know, what's been a challenge for me is to let go a little bit about my digging my heels in the ground about my, you know, but this is not what we agreed to, right? Things right. change, things evolve, people's needs change. And so for the for the sake of the business and the continued success of the business, sometimes we have to let go of certain points of principle sometimes. Absolutely. And hopefully if you took nothing else away from COVID, it's the fact that things change and things are unexpected and right. we all have to be a little more flexible in life than we wish we had to be sometimes. So flexibility is really key. Good point. I right, tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more emediationservices.com. Christy, great conversation, all full of valuable takeaway, which is what I love and what this show is all about. Thank you for sharing and for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Henry. I appreciate it. I had fun chatting with you. Same here. Pleasure. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Christy Foley. I release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.